0: Entry 223.2K0440. Certificate number 24598. Cincinnati Chili.
1: No other chili has a taste that's so divine. Together, at last, skyline
0: time. Have you had Cincinnati Chili? I have had chili and I've had spaghetti. I've never had them together. Really? I've sat at the table. Do you know that little uh, chili place that's somehow still there by the Ballard Bridge? That little... Yeah, for sure I do. I go there all the time. I bet you've been there a lot. (laughs) I do. Any Seattle place that looks like I did in 1912, that's (laughs) where you eat. (laughs) It's wonderful. I have eaten something else there while somebody else... That place has Cincinnati chili, I think. And I have eaten there while my friend had Cincinnati chili. And I think that was the first time I knew of Cincinnati chili and I was kind of appalled. So, what you're de- what, uh, the
1: place you're describing is a place called Mike's Chili par- Parlor, uh, and it is it's right by the Ballard Bridge, and it is <laughs> like uh, very interesting to those of you who live in uh,
0: <laughs> Bulgaria or Tierra del Fuego.
1: It is, uh, it is, it does have the ye olde appearance, and they do a form of uh, Cincinnati chili, although I wouldn't. I wouldn't describe it as, like, the perfection of the form. It's it's, it's its own thing.
0: Do they claim that it's Cincinnati? That's what it says on the menu, I think, right? On their little chalkboard? Uh, I mean, they need
1: to say that because there's a lot of confusion when you start talking about chili, particularly now. But, in fact, uh, in a way, always, um, because chili has a— There's already issues with defining chili, right? Within Does people, it have beans? Does it have meat? Right. Within people that care about chili, they are already arguing over whether or not you should put a single grain of of uh pepper in it if you can still call it chili. If you if you, if it has uh if it has anything other than
0: Is that a real thing? Which spices oh, it has? Yeah, absolutely. People care about chili a lot. And I don't know I don't know if I understand that. Is it because of the um maybe the spiciness of the dish has led to this kind of competitive cook-off angle where it becomes kind of a masculine thing who can make the fieriest chili six alarm, seven alarm. Look out ladies, eight alarm. It's
1: that, I mean, chili is chili is an American, um, you know, a Northern Mexico, Texas Southwest kind of invention. It's not a, it's not a thing that, um, that is as old as time. It, It started to develop around the, the mid 19th century, Originally, uh, chili was a thing that uh, you would, that they would cook in pots as a kind of meat and spice um, uh, concoction, and then they would condense it, right? Take the water out of it until it until it became a block, like a uh, like you would head out on the trail. I
0: was about to say, so it's like it's like trail food,
1: yeah, with a with a block of chili starter. And then you would take this block and add water, cook it in your steel pot oh, on the trail. They invented Campbell's condensed soup. Yeah, it was a it was a kind of food that that you could uh, like basically freeze dried camp food
0: uh, in the mid
1: nineteenth century.
0: But it doesn't really like the Olmecs didn't eat chili, is what you're saying. It doesn't have no. a lot of like apparent Mesoamerican antecedents. No, and
1: the original chili, as described, did not have beans in it. it I mean, beans were a, were a popular food in the Southwest, but the, but chili itself was this sort of combined, you know, dried beef, chipped beef combined with chili seasoning and, and, um, and didn't even have tomato in it at first.
0: You no know, beans, it, no tomato.
1: Yeah. It was just a. This is
0: like when you find out that pizza just used to be flatbread <laughs> with olive oil on it. Mm, that's not pizza. Uh, and so I'm, when, when people started
1: and, and the desire to, to, uh, have or uh, the impulse to have chili be a kind of specialty dish that you worked hard on was also, it, it's, it's contemporaneous with barbecue also being a kind of regional specialty that has, you know, the St. Louis barbecue people will argue that their barbecue, you know, puts the Carolina barbecue
0: to shame and so forth. I think the boundary wars are an effect of these being safe, culinary fields for men mm. at a time when it would have been too feminizing for men to have brownie recipes. Right, cakes. You know? Um, but the, the still, the impulse to make delicious food is obviously not gendered. Right. It's just our, our messed up culture of the time, and maybe now. Um, so men have No, to you f- should try my delicious cake. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to try your delicious cakes. Is that a euphemism? No, you never eat anything I offer you. You're always like, oh, no, that's fine.
1: A- as, though, as though my food is— like somehow, I don't know, full of you just teotas, love, you just love Safeway is. cakes.
0: I was I eating do. some like trail mix upstairs and you were like, you can't eat that. Don't eat that. <laughs> but the thing about chili and barbecue is their specific qualities that make it seemingly safe in a masculine world. The spiciness, both of them, for example, are very hearty, meat-heavy foods. Barbecue has kind of the outdoor open fire thing, which uh, which I guess makes it seem plausibly masculine. And then chili has a different kind of heat. It's got the Spiciness, and then just because there's men involved, it turns into this pissing contest over can you put mustard in the sauce? Can you have beans in the chili? Like you notice, women don't fighting, not fighting about whether or not um, chocolate chip cookies should have walnuts.
1: <laughs> oh, the women in my family do, <laughs> good sir. Uh, in fact, chili was originally a thing that was um, that was developed by uh, Mexican women and Tejana women. Oh, interesting. So it was, you know, it was. Um, when it first arrived on the scene, uh, like the chili was popularized in the city of San Antonio and there, and the, the women that were famous for making it in their, uh, chili joints, as they were called, were known as the chili Queens of San Antonio.
0: Chili joints. So there yeah. these are restaurants you would go to just to have chili. You're sweaty. You're off the trail. That's right. Chili joints. Well, no, I think, I think by,
1: this is by the late 19th century when it had started to become a, uh, a cuisine rather than, or I mean, you know, working class cuisine, right. but but not a cowboy food. Th- these are diners yeah. now. And it was really the uh, the Columbia Exposition in Chicago that brought chili to the wider world.
0: It's always that damn World's it Fair. It really is. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine what the world would be like if Chicago had been like, no, nah, pass. Yeah. Like LA trying to get rid of the Olympics. We don't want to have a World's Fair. It seems like a lot of trouble to have a big white city.
1: It's always it's always uh, we you can I mean how many things in the omnibus have we traced back to the exposition?
0: Every single omnibus <laughs> entry. Like if you look at any of this, Coppicing—that's World's World's Fair. Right. Chastity belts, World's Fair. That's George right. Bush's crack dealer. It's all back, back Ammon, to the World's. It's Fair. all World's Fair.
1: So so uh, you know the world went to the Chicago World's Fair in 1893, and there was a you know a, a Texas pavilion, and uh, they were serving chili, and it and it. Really struck a resonant chord with
0: people. That as, was as we saw that the, the uh, what with the Doritos uh, entry? Mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. know, like southwestern food was delicious and nobody knew. Right. Like it was a there was a weird market imbalance. There was an arbitrage opportunity. Like it's kind of like when Thai food hadn't caught on yet. Like there's this amazing food and nobody knows.
1: Nobody's heard of it, and here it is, and it's really easy to make.
0: Oh yeah, and it re- it wasn't. Uh, it was right at that same
1: time, eighteen ninety four. That the first packaged chili powder uh, was introduced. Prior to that, you know, you uh, obviously people were making chili powder around the world by grinding up chilies, but it was the first time someone had taken chili powder and and, and it made an industrial product out of it. So immediately afterwards, uh, after the World's Fair. Suddenly, you could acquire chili powder and use it as a seasoning.
0: People weren't so elsewhere in uh, America and even Europe. People were not putting chili powder in their eggs or their soups or whatever.
1: Well, you know, paprika. There were I yeah, mean, paprika. Come on, chili was used as a spice, uh, and uh, in Asia, I mean, chilies have been a uh, have been a, a food seasoning. People knew forever. about chili as a pepper, right? And you and you could dry it and and grind it. It just wasn't a thing you would buy in a store. Hmm. It was a it was a preparation, right? Uh, that you're that you would make as part of making your regional cuisine. But it wasn't a thing where you would buy a package of it and experiment with it. Like, oh, what if we put chili in uh, in lemonade?
0: What if we put chili... What if we sprinkled it on ourselves before we made love? This is what happens today. Right. Like, chili on desserts, right. like all these right. schmancy right. restaurants. Bleh. Do you think that... Um, it's odd that chili is named for the pepper, right? Right. Like, I think of chili as a... You know, growing up on mid-century canned chili, canned I think chili. of it as a meat and bean dish. That was always my dad's go-to dish when he had to cook. Like, like my so mo- many dads. Yeah, like my mom often had a—my mom's—she's not, not unlike your mom. She's a busy bee, hard worker, mm-hmm. always got something going. Mm-hmm. She would have a part—even when we were little, she would have a part-time job at a— embroidery store at the Northgate Mall, or uh, she worked uh, the King Tut exhibition when it came through. Yes, of course she did. In 78 or whenever Uh, that was. A proctor. Yes, she was an amateur (laughs) docent of some kind. (laughs) And whenever my mom was gone, my dad didn't have that many options. It was either going to be fried egg sandwiches or... Canned chili. And of course, we love that because Friday sandwiches and or canned chili are delicious. Right. And so the idea, like, I always think that chili has to have beans, but I'm not crazy about the beans. Right. So I was happy about the discovery later in life that there are these purists who don't want beans in their chili? The Texas style chili people. But it's weird that these trail people would not have put beans in their chili. It's a common part of that cuisine, right? It's in, it's less perishable than the meat or anything else you're putting in there. They would have had
1: beans with the meal, exactly. They oh, just, they just didn't, didn't put it in. The, dump it in the chili, and they, I, don't, I think they're not wrong.
0: I think it doesn't do the chili any favors.
1: Well, and so this period, right the the late nineteenth century, early twentieth century, so much. Uh, was happening in in America at this at this time. It was a a time of great
0: uh it's always a time of great change in our people on omnibus.
1: But a, but a, this in particular was a time of a lot of immigration to the United States, people coming from all over, but also a a sense of kind of integrating the south into and and the the southwest in particular into American culture. Like Texas had always been a faraway place and now Texas was becoming um Becoming more than just a like a wild outpost, but but uh, Texas food, Texas stuff was was in vogue.
0: I wonder if it had some cachet from its you know just unique history as a formerly an Former, independent country, kind of right. like when Hawaii joined the union, and then we're all like, "Ooh, pineapple!" Tell us more.
1: Well, in the period between you know the rise of the railroads and the motor car, which would allow you to from Ohio drive down to Texas and check it out and come home. By the, by, by early, you know, 1910s, Texas chili parlors were starting to open up around the country like hamburger stands and people were, uh, chili was kind of a, a thing that not, uh, not quite exotic, but, but it was a new, a new style of. It's cheap and it's filling. Cheap working. And it actually food. has
0: flavor. Right. Which used to be kind of expensive people's food, you know, poor people ate potatoes and, and uh, what? Right uh, That's about it. more yeah. potatoes.
1: Cabbage Potato- potatoes and potatoes.
0: and And now here's like an inexpensive food that really packs a wallop. That's right. and 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 was the type of thing that you could pull
1: over, there'd be a roadside stand in a lot of ways, like our own uh, aforementioned Mike's chili parlor which opened in Seattle in 1939. Wow. Uh, it was not a a
0: lot of thirties restaurants still open in Seattle. No.
1: And that was in Ballard, which was a seafaring working class part of town. You could go over and get a bowl of chili. It didn't require a lot of fuss and muss. It was a thing that went, went well with beer. Right. That's Uh, true.
0: That's true. Also it's yeah. You think about that driving a lot of the Asian food trends now, and it's really what's good drinking food.
1: What is good with beer.
0: But during this same
1: period, uh, it was a, a time of a, a lot of immigration from the Mediterranean into the United States. Italy and um, and environs were sending a ton of uh, new immigrants to the United States. But one of the chapters of that Mediterranean immigration story uh, is r- related to the Balkan Wars that happened. There were a couple of wars in the Balkan Peninsula that happened immediately before World War I, arguably one of the... Major causes of World War One, uh, during which time the, all of the Balkans had been part of the Ottoman Empire for many hundreds of years, and during this this uh, early part of the 20th century, it was a time of Balkan national identity. We've talked about this uh, before on the Omnibus in the Maraschino Cherries episode. Uh, that the um, the Slavs of the Balkan Peninsula were were you think they're all slobs? Well, not all slobs. I mean, the Romanians aren't. Uh, but uh, oh, slobs, slobs with a V the southern
0: Slavs. I thought you were complaining about all those slobs immigrating. No, no oh,
1: the, the, the slobs, slobs immigrate down to Washington from Alaska. That's how I got here. <laughs> uh, but they were they were rebelling against the Turks and pushing them out. And there were a couple of there are a couple of wars uh, that happened in quick succession. But it was a time of a lot of of turmoil and upheaval and violence in the, in the Balkans in Greece in particular. And so uh, a lot of people immigrated to the United States through Ellis Island during that period from that part of the Mediterranean, Eastern Mediterranean. And uh, they arrived in America and there was a sort of diaspora of, of, uh, of Greeks and Macedonians that, that went to, Places in the in what we uh, I think have agreed is the Midwest, Detroit, Ohio, uh, Chicago. A lot of a lot of uh, that population stayed in New York, and they maintained a kind of um, uh, 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 what would you call it an identity within these regions. They were Orthodox Christians, so. At, at, at this point in time, I mean, this was an era where there was a lot of prejudice against Catholics.
0: Did they somehow avoid that? You could, you could kind of see America, Protestants turning on any, you know, Eastern Orthodox believers as easily as the Papists. I think there was a lot of
1: Orthodox Catholic rivalry because they were, they were, uh, the Orthodox uh, Greeks would move into neighborhoods that had formerly been Catholic or Jewish. You know, they weren't troubling the. The high part of town where the Episcopalians lived—they were—they were mucking it up.
0: I guess if you want to get the most bang for your prejudice buck, you go after the Pope, not the Patriarch of Constantinople. That's right. right? That's right. Like, uh, really, how many uh, how many Greeks are you trying to annoy?
1: Well, and Greece has a, a certain hold on the American imagination because the founders were so enamored with ancient Greece. Oh, that's interesting. And so you always can kind of, if you're looking for if you're looking for a reason not to be prejudiced against Greeks, you can Which always, constantly you can have. also, or you can always find a way to connect them to
0: their ancient, uh, culture. The Greeks certainly do. They, they, they love, are, to, they, are, they will tell you all, everything they invented. Love to do it.
1: Um, but so, so here we have this, uh, this population of, uh, of recent immigrants from Greece and, and, uh, and Macedonia and Bulgaria and Albania, um, who are arriving in New york and and then sort of populating the midwest they're looking for ways to uh to make a living in the United States and to that, make a drachma and that often happens with uh, with new immigrant populations in food right they find they were they, they were good cooks at home they find a way to introduce some of their cuisine to the americas
0: what 's interesting to me is that uh my impression of a lot of the Greek restaurateurs then is now is that they were not like Hey, America! Have, come have some stuffed grape leaves. Like they started making burgers right. and uh, and pasta. Right. This is a plot point in cheap-a-ga,
1: the- Chibuka Chibuka Chibuka.
0: This is a, <laughs> <laughs> exactly like there's a Greek diner by my house that has pizza, but right. it also has burgers and it has euros right. and it has. Uh, this is a plot point in the uh, Great Brain books. Oh, are you familiar with these? Uh, I know the books. The books about the the Tom Sawyer. Type uh, swindler character in in uh, turn of the century Utah, I guess. He yeah, said. but I,
1: I'm I'm at a loss to recall anything from them.
0: There is a Greek uh, a supporting character whose dad is a Greek restaurateur who moves to this little frontier town and opens you know a, a hash house of some kind. And I assume this is part of this wave of Greek restura- immigra- restaurateur immigration. And there's he's got a son named Basil, and the kids make fun of him because there's a new immigrant kid in town to beat up on and our heroes kind of take him under their wings and he becomes part of the gang. And we learn that people from other cultures are okay, uh-huh. but it's absolutely set around the premise of a Greek restaurateur moving to this tiny town in Utah in 1898 or whatever, and opening a little, a little joint, right? a little diner of some kind. Well,
1: this was the also the, the period as we've, we've sort of touched on, of the joint. and one of the joints that was popular at this time was the hot dog stand, uh, the hamburger stand. Right, these were uh, kind of novel ideas. You could go out and get a burger or a, or a hot dog in a in a little hut.
0: Quick food you can hold right. and not have to sit and and uh, wait for a waitress. And and it, it was a tricky time
1: because there wasn't a lot of food quality assurance and so there was quite a bit of i think rightful suspicion about what was going in your hot dog or what was going in your hamburger and the and the successful businesses of the time all found a way to reassure their customers that their hamburgers were only the finest uh grade of
0: how uh, snows snouts and hooves yeah i mean
1: yeah. howts and snows the uh Houts and snows they were two of the 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 uh, houses at hogwarts right <laughs> Uh, like the guy that for, uh, that founded Steak and Shake, he actually would go out and grind the meat in the restaurant to demonstrate to his clientele that he was using steak to make his hamburger
0: rather than. Cause people were so sure. It was, and, it, 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 and it was cats and entrails. Yeah.
1: And, and, uh, Nathan's famous hot dogs. That's the, uh, there that started on Coney Island, uh, was a, um. One of their promotions was that they uh, they they had people dressed as doctors, surgeons <laughs> that would be there eating hot dogs. My son,
0: the doctor, with
1: the idea that like if a doctor would eat it, you you know it has to be good.
0: <laughs> they just paid people to wear white coats. I'm Pretty totally, great. What would be the modern equivalent of that? What would you you dress somebody up in the worst hipster garb? Like and, oh uh, no,
1: cops! Right, we we believe that if a cops uh, cops eat at a diner, you know it it's gotta be good. be good. I guess
0: yeah. it, what you should do is have an air an airport eatery where the food is inedible, but you dress people up as pilots. Because <laughs> every time I see a pilot eating at an airport, I'm like, <laughs> they're like, oh, oh, that's gotta be the good. Place. Those guys know. But
1: so all of these things kind of combined, collided uh, in a in a historical moment where uh, this great influx of Greeks brought their own culinary tendencies to to a time in American history where the hamburger stand, the hot dog stand, and the chili parlor were all also colliding. And in this moment, the idea of a Coney dog, a Coney Island hot dog, which is a hot dog with chili on it, a hot dog with, Coney Island invented the chili dog. Well, no. Oh. This is a, this is what makes it fairly complex. The Coney, the Coney dog, I'm making a chart. Is a hot dog on a bun, a steamed hot dog that has chili on it and onions and cheese. That's the the sort of canonical Coney. But the Coney Island dog arose other places before Coney Island. And it was called a Coney in those places. In Fort Wayne, Indiana, in 1914, a shop opened called the famous Coney Island Wiener Stand that was, um, that sold hot dogs, you know, chili dogs, and it was tied to the idea of Coney Island. What
0: is that idea? What are we conveying? It, was Coney Island really such a an amazing? I mean, today you would never use an amusement park as a signifier of good or even convenient or food.
1: Well, so Coney Island is um, for, for futurelings that don't know uh, is a sort of it's not even really an island. It's a, a little bit of an isthmus, a seaside
0: uh, neighborhood of right in southern Brooklyn.
1: Southern Brooklyn, uh, and it's named after. Uh, well, the the original Dutch name was Koning, not not Koning for King, but uh, the the Dutch word for rabbit. Oh right? yeah, a conies,
0: conie. conies are rabbits, right? And
1: so the so when the English took over, they just kept the name Rabbit Island, uh, and it became a seaside resort during this period. A boardwalk, lots of amusements. It was also an area that had a large immigrant population.
0: Does it convey kind of like? Leisure, like uh, a fun vacation food, like saltwater taffy or cotton candy, is that what a chili dog would have been to these people? So, so, or, or is it sophistication of the big city that you don't get in Fort Wayne?
1: I uh, I think it's more the former than the latter. <laughs> there, uh, in uh, on the boardwalk, there uh, there was a restaurant called Feltman's German Garden, and Feltman's um, had a uh, you know served hot dogs and. Sausages, which which again were a kind of immigrant food, right? A Central European uh, kind of food. Hot dogs. Uh, and they had a they had an employee, an immigrant employee by the name of uh, Nathan Handwerker. Is he the Nathan's he's the founder famous? of Nathan's? He eventually left Feltman's and opened his own hot dog stand, Nathan's.
0: That's sad that he had to work as a handwerker when he first came here. He, but he
1: was a handwerker. <laughs> Uh, and he opened Nathan's in 1916. This is now two years after the Fort Wayne Coney Island Wiener stand. So there was something in the air. Um, Nathan's became very popular. He he Nathan sold hot dogs for five cents, which was about half the going rate for hot dogs at the time. And Nathan's popularized the the hot dog stand idea nationwide. It kind of was a sensation and people were – people became aware of hot dogs it's
0: an early version of the of the fast food boom of the uh, of the 40s and 50s of the right. automobile era right? right like we've we've come up with an efficient way to give you a cheaper product with less frills uh it's just a hot dog we hand to you right uh
1: and it was i don't know it it was a combination of like it's immigrant food it's called a frankfurter i mean a hamburger these are these are kind of foreign sounding names. And that
0: they literally say what central European country they're, they're characteristic of, right? (laughs) Right. Wiener is from Vienna. Hamburger is from Hamburg. Frankfurt is from Frankfurt. And this was, this gave it a
1: little bit of a, a, um, an appeal. Also a lot of these, you know, early restaurateurs are Jewish or immigrant uh, people that are kind of, again, trying to convert their, the, the, the few skills that they kind of can put to work in their new country like they can't you can't just come and immediately become whatever you were in the old country you have to you have to adjust
0: and even in fort wayne indiana the people buying a nickel lunch probably are a largely immigrant population right. who who like that remember that kind of food right even before famous
1: coney island uh, the fort wayne famous coney island Wiener Stand, uh, a restaurant in green bay wisconsin opened in 1913 um started by a man named John Isaac. Uh, it was called the, it was called Chili Johns and it was Chili Johns was a place where this sort of Cincinnati chili story starts to get moving. And, and again, the, just like the Coney dog, the, the Greekification of chili seems to have happened, multiple places at once. Does it just get
0: appropriated by the Greeks or do they change something about chili?
1: They change something fundamental about it. And within Greek cuisine, there are a lot of ground beef or ground meat dishes. Sure. And those dishes are s- are seasoned with uh, with a completely separate set of seasonings from Southwestern chili. There's a, a, a Greek spaghetti and spaghetti is is another dish that kind of um gets appropriated and used by anybody that can think of a thing to throw on it. The only thing that spaghetti the only thing that doesn't get thrown on spaghetti is a baked potato. But everything <laughs> everything else you can imagine uh, uh spaghetti can handle. Yeah, it's just a base. And the 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 sauce that's popular in Greek spaghetti is something called salsa keema, which is a ground meat sauce but seasoned with cinnamon and cumin and nutmeg and allspice and clove and bay leaves like all these these seasonings that i mean some of those get incorporated into southwestern food there's some food.
0: cumin in southwestern food but yeah the chili would dominate all of that you don't you don't dump nutmeg into your no
1: and you don't taco you don't really put uh, cinnamon or clove in it either but it is all that is present in greek food and so as these Greek cooks were trying to find new foods to, to, um, to sell to their American audiences, they started to use these seasonings that they were familiar with and introduce into them a little chili powder, this new, um, this new seasoning that had arrived only
0: recently. I wonder if it helps conceal bad cooking. Like
1: oh well, just like any kind of right. uh, curry, yeah. you can put any amount of uh, of partially spoiled meat in there, and and uh, the chili will cover it over. But the chili, the adding the chili seasoning, and in particular, kind of adopting the term "chili" for what they were making, and it was a it was a little bit of a maybe a cultural uh, uh, an attempt to make what they were making recognizable to their audience. They saw chili parlors. This was a popular dish. They looked at their traditional meat sauce and saw it as a sort of chili. It looks like chili.
0: It looks... It's like that Simpsons joke about calling falafel crunch patties and calling euros (laughs) or calling pitas pocket bread, you know, so that you don't scare off an audience with your weird new Mediterranean foods. Right, pocket bread. Or
1: or, uh, calling... Calling euros gyros exactly right. I mean, so many of these things are are just uh, somehow the the morphing and melding happens somewhat spontaneously and and, and, and in a way logically right. What are you going to call that if you're trying to sell it to people? You don't want to call it masuka, um or uh, salsa Like your Roman Catholic next door neighbors aren't going to run down to eat your traditional dish. But At some it,
0: point you can. At some point yeah. you can switch back to tzatziki, but right. you got to call it cucumber yogurt for like 50 years first. <laughs> right. And in this case, um, this
1: seasoned meat, ground meat with with nutmeg and cinnamon in it, over spaghetti and over hot dogs. What? Wait, either or both? It started this this sort of "Quote unquote chili started as a hot dog topping. Started as a Coney Island hot dog. It was its separate. It wasn't called a chili dog yet.
0: Do you like chili dogs?
1: I love chili dogs.
0: I'm a little skeptical. I mean, I like. I just seems like gilding the lily. Like a hot dog already is meat. You don't need to put a meat sauce on it well. I don't dislike it. Well, but, sir. But if I could choose between a chili dog and just a, do- a dog with regular toppings, I don't know if I would take the chili dog.
1: I, I will... Re- I it make chili bun, dogs here it, at home. It also makes the bun soggier. It does. A ch- how do you feel about a chili burger? No. What about a chili size, which is a... Chili size? Chili size is a is a kind of chili burger that is served... It's like two patties um, with chili over the top of it, not necessarily with a bun. It's just like hamburger and chili there's a version of this with uh two fried eggs on top of two hamburgers covered with chili
0: and it's s y
1: apostrophe s no. s i z e chili size <laughs> what it's just the way it's served. it's just the size if, of a chili if you go to randy's uh down by boeing field and order a chili burger the waitress the 75 year old waitress will say you mean a
0: chili size Is that the place that used to be a Denny's? So it still has the yellow hexagon sign, but it says Randy's now. I think
1: it actually used to be a Sambo's. Oh, honestly. Wow. Yeah. We could do an omnibus on that too. Anyway, no one can quite trace the exact origin of this, uh, hybrid dish because it seems to have arisen somewhat simultaneously in multiple places, but the, um, Cincinnati being one of them? The sort of iconic uh, or or the generally accepted origin of Cincinnati chili starts with two brothers, Tom and John Kiradjeff, I think is how it, I'm going to
0: pronounce it. Is that a Greek name?
1: K- K-I-R-A-D-J-I-E-F-F.
0: Okay.
1: Uh, two immigrant brothers who opened um, a little hamburger stand— Uh, That was right next door to a burlesque place called the Empress, and so they called them. They called their place the uh, the Empress, and they started serving this Greek style chili sauce on top of spaghetti, Uh, on top of spaghetti, all covered with cheese. (laughs) And they lost their poor meatball. And the the way that they there's no meatballs. The way that they um the 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 original the original dish was spaghetti with chili. And then if you wanted cheese on it, you ordered it a separate way and and this became the this became the standard. They described the different ways you could order this dish as ways. So W A Y. W A Y. Not so size. <laughs> spaghetti or spaghetti two way uh is spaghetti with chili. Spaghetti three way is with cheese, chili and cheese. The four way is with chili onions and cheese um i guess i guess there's two four ways there's four way onion and four way bean according to this but it, it it gets even more confusing because spaghetti five way which is the big way uh is spaghetti chili beans onions and cheese
0: and these are not ingredients in the chili, these are toppings. The cheese toppings. and the
1: onions are. So, so if you, you're
0: a third way Democrat, is that just a regular Democrat with cheese on the top? That's a regular Democrat with cheese. Gotcha. Like a so, Wisconsin Democrat. So you would
1: you you would get a plate of spaghetti, it would have chili on it, and then a huge mound of cheese and onions and beans all kind of on top of it. It's, it's grated cheddar. Is yep. that what it is? Grated, grated cheddar. And, and you know like fine grated cheddar, mm-hmm. not thick grated. Uh, and this became a, this became a super popular restaurant, a popular menu item. The Empress was one of those restaurants that kind of like, um, kind of like Feltman's German garden. Uh, people that worked at the Empress often went on to start their own restaurants. Uh, a, for a former employee of, uh, of Empress named Nicholas Lambrinidis, uh, opened his own restaurant, the Skyline restaurant, uh, which um, he opened that in 1949. That went on to become, I think in a lot of ways, the major purveyor of Cincinnati-style chili. Uh, there's a, 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 a another famous restaurant out of Cincinnati called Camp Washington Chili. Uh, they opened in 1940. This is all sort of around this, uh, this mid-20th century um, wartime popularization of these regional cuisines. I guess people
0: are going off to war where they fight with one Polish guy, one right. Jewish fellow, one Italian guy, one Irish guy, and they all swapped up.
1: And the the Cincinnati-style chili was immediately offensive to people from other parts of the country that expected – raised on the, the, the chili parlors, raised on Texas-style chili, as you were raised on chili with no beans, to imagine – Chili on spaghetti. First of all, like dumping a can of Hormel chili on a plate of spaghetti doesn't really sound that appetizing to a lot of people. No,
0: you don't need to add when you're eating chili. You're not like I wish this had carbs. I guess right. rice is okay. Chili on ri- chili next to rice, sure, but like uh, particularly
1: beans on spaghetti.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's a it's a little bit of a clashing carb situation. You've also got the fact that um, you don't want you know the, because of how you have to eat spaghetti because of the length of the noodles. You don't want other solid pellet-sized items mixed in. <laughs> right, hard like, to get it all on one well, fork. What's happening to the beans while you're trying to get the spaghetti on your fork? Well,
1: Cincinnati spaghetti people in Cincinnati and the region eat uh, eat Cincinnati spaghetti with a knife and fork. Like they don't they don't twirl the spaghetti. They cut they it up, cut it kind of like a oh, like a
0: pie. That's horrifying.
1: Um, so Cincinnati-style spaghetti was controversial and kind of remains controversial among people that have never tried it because it does not taste like spaghetti. It's its own distinct regional cuisine.
0: And it's it's mostly because of the spice
1: blend, right? The spice blend and the fact that a lot of times, I mean, the way that you make it is you, you it's it's really made more like a soup. You throw the ground beef into a pot of water and spice and you boil it for a long time. And it has a thin... Uh, consistency it's not a chunky
0: sauce it's a it's kind of a a roux that's interesting um because often thin thin foods go chunkier with ads about how hearty it is and you got to eat it with a fork but you never see the other direction right you never take like a hearty food and you're like what if this was kind of watery
1: it's really it's more of a sauce less of a huh. uh less of a you you would never eat Cincinnati style chili out of a bowl it's not a thing that you would order on its own it's a it's a topping. And a, there are so many different varieties of it in De, in Detroit and Michigan, it's made out of ground beef heart. <laughs> so, I mean, that's the, the that's the you, you, beef heart tastes very different than ground beef. Yeah, and it's, you,
0: you, it tastes like it tastes like organ meat.
1: Well, and imagine putting a bunch of of uh, cumin and allspice on it.
0: It's also very chewy. I don't know.
1: Well, so they grind it really thin. Like huh. they grind it uh not to a powder, but they grind it so that it's a it's a and fine then, mince. A uh, fine mince, and then they boil it in water, and that, that's that char- kind of characterizes that style of it. It became the defining regional food of that southern Ohio, Kentucky, uh, you know, area. And I first had it in Newport, Kentucky, right across the river from Cincinnati, and it was a meal that appealed to me at f- at at first sight because I love chili. I love spaghetti. I love any kind of ground meat covered with cheese. You're like, Oh boy. I said, Oh boy. And I went into skyline chili It was the first place I had it and ordered a chili five way and took a big excited bite of it and was shocked. Cause it tastes like cloves. Shocked and appalled. What the heck is this crazy stuff? And if you had told me it was Greek spaghetti, I would have, I wouldn't have blushed, right? If you had said it's seasoned with mazithra cheese, um, it would have, I would have approached it as an exotic food, but thinking of it as Cincinnati style chili, I imagine you as were most people do. ready for Southwestern food. That's right. That it was going to taste like chili. And it took me a couple of, of, uh, attempts at it to develop a taste for it. And once I did and realized that this was a cinnamon flavored dish, you know, it was, a it was, a, a Greek dish, not a, not a Texas one. I became a real aficionado of Cincinnati style chili and I seek it out wherever I can. And in fact, there are a couple of people here in Seattle, Cincinnati transplants that occasionally will have a, a Cincinnati chili style, uh, like home party where everybody comes and, and eats this, this strange cuisine. And you
0: somehow get invited to these Cincinnati get togethers.
1: I do because you know, I'm a, I'm a multi, um, multi, I'm multicultural.
0: You're multi hyphenate. I am.
1: Uh, the, uh, Cincinnati style chili then actually kind of returned to the old country. One of the popular Cincinnati restaurants was called the gold star restaurant, which was started by the Daoud brothers from Jordan who brought a kind of Jordanian middle Eastern take to the, to the seasoning, which, you know, it's not that far off. Sure. And they, uh, uh, they've been very successful in the region. You know, they were endorsed by Pete Rose and you know that anything endorsed by Pete Rose has got to be good. Uh, but they actually now have taken their chain and franchised it in Egypt and Iraq and Saudi Arabia. Like they've taken gold star Cincinnati style chili and in- reintroduced
0: it, I guess, to the Middle East. That's funny that they would, uh, that that would catch on there, even though it's some American, of well their their of, cuisine of kind their of. own food
1: right I mean it's uh, I think if you go if you go to a lot of places and order an American style hamburger and then as you start to eat it you realize this is not anything like an American
0: style hamburger I mean really I've had a, that impression <laughs> in I've had that experience in Asia several times and I'm not like oh boy they've really done a great twist on the American <laughs> hamburger <laughs>
1: no you can get a hamburger in the United Kingdom that doesn't taste anything <laughs> like a hamburger. <laughs> But so so this food and and unlike the unlike the cheesesteak wars of uh Philadelphia it seems like the the Cincinnati chili wars have you know have stayed have stayed largely uh peaceful let's say i mean Empress chili did not end up being the major player although they were kind of the originator
0: Skyline um, stole their thunder.
1: Skyline stole their thunder. There are over 134 Skyline Chili restaurants now. Uh, wow! But they still haven't really spread outside of the. I mean, they're, I guess they're in Florida and Bahrain, but they're not. <laughs> uh, you don't find a Skyline Chili here in Seattle.
0: Cincinnati Chili has not caught on. I think in the way that, say, Philly Cheesesteak had, and it might be something inherent in the the coincidence that made that food. Uh, so beloved in that part of the country. It may not have the inherent outsider appeal that, say, other re- regional foods like cheesesteak have had.
1: Yeah, Mike's Chili Parlor here in Seattle is a place um, that holds a special affection for those few of us that that want uh, to, find the, to find the thing that's never been cleaned. Uh, <laughs> but really, Mike's remains more or less a local bar that happens to serve chili rather than mm-hmm. much of a destination. And they're, you know, they're, they're the spicing of their chili isn't like super forward. It's it it's still a food that you would not, um, you would not eat that chili on its own, right? You don't come in and buy like a gallon of that chili to take home. Uh,
0: and I wonder if part of it is the uh, the lack of Cincinnati as a cultural signifier. You know, like you're eating a Philly cheesesteak. You can think about the history of Philadelphia. You're thinking about Ben Franklin and Rocky Balboa. I mean, Cincinnati's a city that would elect Jerry Springer mayor, right? So <laughs> maybe, maybe we should be a little suspicious of them. There's another. There's another chili dog place
1: down by Boeing Field called Matt's Famous Chili Dogs. <laughs> the show is now just <laughs> hot dog <laughs> recommendations. And Matt's is also great, but Matt's also uses this kind of ground chili sauce that's not a. Um, it's not a thing that you would ever like eat with a spoon it's it's a topping rather than a
0: than a food i'm okay with chili as a topping it's a bit much it's a bit much for me to have a big heaping bowl of chili i'm okay with thinking of it as a as a sauce or a garnish i
1: i think the i think the the finest example of this dissemination of of chili covered spaghetti into the world is a thing called filipino spaghetti which is Spaghetti, but topped with banana ketchup, which is ketchup made of bananas. Uh, I assume it's ketchup made of bananas. (laughs) But it looks like they put red food coloring in it, so it looks like sauce. It looks like ketchup sauce. They should just embrace it. It should just be yellow. But it's like banana and, and, uh, and brown sugar, and it's served with spaghetti and then topped with sliced hot dogs. So it's...
0: Cincinnati chili taking the full... This is like, this is straight up home alone food. This is straight up your parents are in Europe and you're Kevin McAllister going through the cupboards and you've got bananas and hot dogs and spaghetti. And that concludes Cincinnati Chili. Entry 223.2K0440. Certificate number 24598. In the omnibus. Now, Futurelings, uh, I have no idea how long Cincinnati Chile will survive as a cultural force. Uh, Hopefully it outlasts social media. Hopefully social media soon dies a painful death. But until it does, John and I are so dedicated to the ideals of this project that we can be found at Omnibus Project on your favorite platforms. Uh, We were respectively at Ken Jennings and at John Roderick on Twitter and, in John's case, Instagram. Uh, On Facebook, we were supporters of the Futurelings uh, fan group, which I'm sure is now full of angry Cincinnatians. Is that even right? Cincinnatians? Mm-hmm. Cincinnaticuses, Cincinnatiites? Cincinnatiites? It's Cincinnatians. Cincinnati- I'm sure it's not. <laughs> Cincinnatiish. Uh, and uh, there's a similar subreddit, also called Futurelings. Um, you can send us uh, email, if you insist, at theomnibusproject at gmail.com. Uh, Please send us uh, physical items, although not bowls of chili, at uh, to the Omnibus Project at P.O. Box 55744, Seattle, Washington, 98155. Um, If you have the means and are looking for something to, a donation that will make you feel good, you can contribute to the ongoing financial health and stability of the Omnibus by making a pledge and becoming... A, uh, what do we say? A member.
1: A member. There are member uh, benefits
0: available to you.
1: The, the futurelings um, are given, I mean, you choose what kind of futureling you want to be on our Patreon site. There, there are many options. You don't just get to be a top-ranking uh, cephalopod. No, you have to buy
0: it. You have to buy in. <laughs> <laughs> and there are various per, uh, perks and benefits available uh, to the different types of futurelings. But uh, if that's something you haven't done, but you have a generous impulse right now, please uh, investigate at patreon.com slash omnibus project.
1: Future links from our vantage point in your distant past, when foods were still differentiated by flavor instead of just colored pellets, you think it's just going to be uh, uh, packets of paste. Yeah. Cincinnati style chili will just be, uh, it'll just be another, another lever on the
0: pump chili machine. <laughs> Cincinnati is uh, some kind of a glowing nuclear pit at the point, (laughs) at that point. So Cincinnati, Chile just glows in the dark. Uh,
1: We have no idea how long this, uh, this sort of chimera of a civilization survives. We hope and pray that the catastrophe we fear may never come. But if the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may have been our final word. But if providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus.